And I stopped at Paris Baguette and got a donut with filled with some like extremely delicious like orange like orange blossom cream. Oh, it was so good. Ooh. Yeah, and they had um like Halloween like Halloween donuts that look like Jack Skellington. So that was a very exciting. I got two for my little nieces, which oh yeah, I have a hard stop at one. Um, just because I'm okay. going uh, pumpkin picking with my nieces. Aww. Yeah, so I feel like that's hopefully give us enough time. I mean, not to discuss everything, but... This is a big topic. That's the problem. <laughs> it is. But I also feel like there's a lot of the book that at least, like, when I was rereading them, there's a lot of at least the first book that I felt was just kind of like, I don't want to say this in a meaning way, but just kind of like escapist YA romance fluff. Right. Which... I mean, I felt like the second book was a lot less of that, or I just kind of, I found that the romance in the second book to be kind of cringe, but I'm assuming that's Jessica's love story, so I, I respect that, <laughs> yeah. even though everyone kind of hates Tyler Kwan, but you know. Well, we she's showing us these. why she got into him. Like, what was that connection? And ensuring that, well, he was her support at a time when she needed it, when she was going yeah. through a change in her life. That's what it shows, which I get that, but... I felt like the first book was more of her dipping the toes because yeah. she knew she wanted to write about her experience. But I think, though, she fictionalized it and generalized some things to the point where it could be argued that, oh, this is totally fiction. There are so many people that this could be. Yeah. And then she could and have people focus on the silly romance. But then towards the end, like if she had a ghostwriter, definitely the ghostwriter was not doing the ending. Because there, yeah. in both books, there are certain times where she just goes off and it's like, oh, that's Jessica telling us, like, yeah. she yeah. finally gets to speak about this. All right, well, pause right there. Have you guys thought about what you want to play us in on? I'm assuming, like, a Girls' Generation song. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, I mean, I, I like to go back to Genie, but I've played that on, on my show, like, a million times. But oh, it's so that. good that I would love to play it again. Um, that's a good one. So is, especially for our topic, what would also work would be Into the New World. Yeah, that's um, what I was thinking. Ooh, okay. Or Jessica's Fly, which yeah, I I a lot of the wordage of the song, I was like, some of this is kind of strong. And then I read her book and I'm like, oh, this is her mantra of nothing will stand in my way. All right. Well, then let's do that one. I think Jessica may have written the lyrics to fly. I, she's done I think she. Right? Hang on, let me look but at Melon. Discuss, but uh. <laughs> well, that's another thing is uh, like people have. Um, Jr. was mentioning that. Well, she also could have had a ghostwriter. Like, yeah, but Jessica's also super hands-on with her projects. See, I think, and I'll get into this a little bit. I think if she had a ghostwriter, she may have had two different ghostwriters because oh, she's, there's. Sense. There is a continuity error that I noticed while reading the books back to back because I first I read each one when it came out and when reading them back to back I did notice something and I think it's because she was trying to drive this point home and it's about the contracts okay, but it okay, doesn't okay. quite make sense you line them up. I'm oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead <laughs> no, of myself. No, no, <laughs> I think, no, 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 I get you. I'm glad I think that, that we're, part we're of it. all excited, but let, let me just pause here. I'm going to insert the song and then I'm going to do the quick intro. Are we ready? The lyrics are done by her. Real quick, um, the lyrics for Fly are done by her. She had other people on it, but she did that. Invisible, 
Okay. Are we ready? Yes. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Idol Cast. I am here. I guess this is just like my big book review month. Um, so I have on two returning guests for like a big double header Jessica Jung, Shine and Bright, like the two K pop duology. <laughs> like, I don't know what you call a two book series, but um, yeah, we're going to dig into it and talk SM and the DB entertainment and all that good stuff. So, um, do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Oldar, do you want to go first? Okay. Hi, I'm Oldar. I previously appeared on the podcast to talk about HOT. And that is a project that keeps getting bigger and bigger and more people keep getting involved, which luckily means that it's going to be better. But um, I'm known for my love of first gen, my knowledge and research into that. Uh, I am also a longtime SM. I wouldn't say fan because I delight when they get taken to court. <laughs> but <laughs> I like a lot of their artists and I pay attention to them because of the historical impact they've had. Yeah. And you actually were a lot of help um in sort of the early episodes of my TVXQ series. So yeah, definitely my go-to person on SM history. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Ellie. Uh, I was on the podcast when we discussed like kind of J-pop, K-pop, Produce 48. It was kind of a lot of things, but I think like Produce 48 was the differences between like J-pop and K-pop idols was kind of what spearheaded that conversation. I am... Like I said, I, like older, I don't want to say I'm an SM fan because I also am kind of secretly rooting for the company to just implode sometimes, um, even though that would be horrible. And there's lots of people in SM that aren't awful and, you know, their livelihoods depend on it. But um, I do enjoy a lot of SM groups because uh, they are, as I like to say, bastards, but they put out really good music. For people that aren't aware, Jessica Jung debuted in girls generation 2007 um and then let she she left the group i guess we'll just say in 2015 um whether she was kicked out or left is up for discussion i think and yeah she has a sister crystal who debuted in fx and yeah she's korean american um moved to seoul to train to be an idol and then yeah started a fashion line and all that good stuff yeah and so she wrote these two novels shine which came out in 2020 and then bright which came out in 2022 both of which i think are taken to be kind of heavily influenced by her own experiences in the industry i don't know if uh anyone else has anything to add on that but it was uh, 2014, I think, when she was... Uh, okay. I believe she was kicked out. Now, whether she was going to leave before that or not, I think, is the question Is the question of right. what happened. But I tend to believe she was... The way she was removed on 9-30-2014, almost at 2024, uh, 9-30-14, I do not think that was of her own volition. Now, she may have been on her way out, or it may have been like a... I think the best thing that might have been was like a Super Junior Keebum, not Chinese Key Keebum, but like Super Junior Keebum situation where he kind of left the group and was like technically still part of the group for years, but he was doing his own thing and then eventually was officially removed from the lineup. I think that might have been what was planned, but it's hard to say. 
Yeah, the uh, conscious uncoupling, to use mm-hmm. the, <laughs> to use the Gwyneth Paltrow, Chris Martin phrasing. Yeah, that's how I kind of view it. Also, I think also it's important to note the difference in time period, where it wasn't like back in first gen, where if you wanted to go solo, that meant you had to leave the group. Like that meant the group had to end. With second gen, we did see the opening of, hey, people can have solo songs, solo activities, but you got to return to the group. And the more that people got into their solo activities, sometimes they just pieced out. And in Jessica's case, it seems like she didn't want to piece out all the way, at least not on bad terms, or at least not terms like this, where she just got black. Well, I know that there's a discussion of, did she get blacklisted? Well, if she's not allowed to appear on programs and there's like a whole, we're not going to tell you we don't want you to appear, but kind of attitude then yes, that is at least a quiet blacklisting, which we saw of JYJ. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, you know, having looked so much into what happened with TVXQ and people can go listen to that four-part series um, and yeah, what happened with JYJ and it's not like, you know, it's not like somebody goes around and draws up like an official thing and puts their like a wanted poster or something and says blacklisted with their faces on it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not how it works. You know, it, it, it is this thing. It is a quiet thing. It is, you know, people just knowing that they can't or are strongly discouraged from booking XYZ person because it would upset this other, this company that, that holds a lot of power and has other idols that they would like to get on the program. So yeah, that I mean that is how blacklisting works in in the industry. So yeah, I, I would agree. She probably, I, I would call that a blacklisting. Especially the thing that gets me is that there was what is called the JYJ law, which was like if you don't have any actual reason for which to ban someone from broadcast, then you can't do that. It was supposed to sort of combat the whole thing of JYJ, but it was essentially toothless, and it didn't change anything because the decisions are ultimately up to the PDs for who comes on and who comes off. So, yeah. We, because honestly, you can't force somebody to to hire a, a talent. Like it doesn't, you know, you right. go around the industry and say, "No, you have to hire Jae Jung." I, I mean, it's yeah, that these kinds of things are really hard to enforce, especially when certain companies are tied to certain broadcasts or companies such as um Yisung's first drama I believe it was first drama all that one was I think it was JTBC and it had a relation to SM I I mentioned that in particular because first of all it's a great drama watch it Yisung's great in there but so was voice he was also in that but sometimes though you'll see artists where it's like well why are they in this project especially at like a lead role or a significant character and it's like, oh, because the, you know, company trying to push in their idols. Yeah, yeah. The Korean entertainment industry, especially with the, the K-pop companies, there's a lot of, I mean, it's vertical integration, but then also these these ties kind of behind the scenes, like this company owns 30% of this other company and they own, you know, 50% of like this third company. And so, yeah, the, it's like a big spider web of of connections so yeah so i mean that's another reason why it's really hard to um enforce any kind of like fairness laws just because because of all those relationships i will say that even if with the blacklisting there is and this is a bit conspiratorial but there are patterns that even if like i do think that Mm -hmm. i would call what 
she happened to her blacklisting, but what happened was there was a pattern there for a few years where she would do like a solo project, whether it was like usually her album releases and they would, SM would somehow always launch a Girls' Generation's member solo debuting yeah. like at that same time. It happened multiple times. So, I mean, I don't think people pulled that back when um, Bright was released um, very soon to uh, when Forever One was released, um, Girls' Generation's 15th anniversary comeback, which is a fantastic album. But I tend to not put much credence into that because, I don't know, like the date of the book, I think, release changed a bit. And it just, it seemed a little far out from that being a pattern that that just didn't add up to me. But the music debuts back to back did. But these just both happened to come out fairly close to the comeback and anniversary of all nine of these girls debuting. So. She might have just said, I want to do it around my original debut, and they were like, cool, we got you. Or it also depends on how long it took her to finish it. Because she finished both books in a relatively short time compared to other authors. And it is quite a heavy book. Like, I've got a physical copy of Shine. Even though I originally bought it on Kindle, I liked it so much I got a physical copy. And that takes quite a bit of time. But I think with some of this, it was... I also depends on how long she was planning these books, too. Was she planning on making a book as far back as her being in Girls' Generation, or was it an idea that came after? That's also another question. Yeah. And, and I would also bet, as we were talking kind of before we started the discussion, I I would guess that she had a ghostwriter. Not for, I mean, there are definitely a lot of details in here that I think likely came directly from Jessica herself, um, especially... The descriptions of the outfits, any anything that has clothes or like the bag or, or anything like that, I, I feel like she that's like directly from her brain like to the page. Um, the the descriptions of clothes and fashion and everything were were really well done, um, but there were there were other parts I think that likely um, a ghostwriter was involved. You know, she may have given detailed. Uh, plot notes or something but um you know it it, it is a lot of work to write a, a book even a, a YA novel some of them though the way that she talks I don't think a ghostwriter could have replicated it as well like there's certain instances when she's describing a conflict or just like describing a place like yeah. that seems like it came from her yeah yeah and there are details too that likely came directly from her like um when she is at the cafe in bright with um <laughs> alex and they're discussing you know their elementary school days and she's talking about um something called bubble day and i mean that has to come directly from her you know a ghostwriter isn't gonna invent um such a very specific memory like that or they could just to give it more distinction, like Googling yeah, that's true. what are some fun school days. But but considering how hands-on Jessica tries to be, like I was looking up 
her music before we started and looked at, well, how much does she actually work on it? So even when she has other people working on stuff with her, she will still be on that team. Um, such as for Fly, for instance, she is the only person listed under uh, lyrics, even though other people helped her with composition and arranging all that jazz. She's the one, though, who did the lyrics. Mm. And considering how some of it is how she talks, and then that wordage is then reinforced in the book of being exactly like how she talks. Like, I would not be surprised if she, maybe she did fully hands-on, but at least for the book, though, she'll list it out. And then, of course, like, well, for music, listing out who all worked on it, which there's some people who, when I go looking for, like, who worked on a song... If, especially if it's a recent release, if I only see two names and it's not like an independent artist, I'm a bit suspicious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially when it's a main group and it's yeah. like it's not like an in-house person, like how Yu Young Jing back in the day was like the only person because their other composer dude ran to the hills after the whole thing of Hyunjin Young. It, not everyone's that case. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll have to link um, an article that my friend sent me about um this this very thing that you're talking about how you'll see these big name artists with yeah, a suspiciously low number of names in the credits and it's the these ghostwriters who are you know wanting more recognition of the fact that they wrote these songs um yeah so i'll, I'll link that or we also know from certain other places i believe mbk was one of those where at least for shannon if i remember correctly that the story was that she had written music that was supposed to be for her because she had debuted under them. So apparently the story was that she didn't tell it till after she left, that she had written music that was supposed to be for her. And then she found out that it was given to a junior group and she was never credited. And that is somewhat common from what I understand. Jessica makes that claim in Bright that she like talks about how someone allegedly stole her notebook and then she says oh after she left they and now for this to exactly be uh, a girls generation subunit the timeline doesn't match up and like i'll right. say like with this book i think a lot of it is mashups and things and i don't right. think anything is there okay there's some things i think are probably one-to-one -one. like she's was pretty direct that like the character leah is Crystal. Crystal picked the name Leah for the character, but I think a lot of, like, the head of DB Entertainment is probably actually Isuman, but... Yeah, he's an interesting character, Mr. No. We'll have to talk about him. Yes, but I think that she basically says, like, oh, they gave it, and then they gave it to the new subunit, like, that they just released after they kicked me out when I wrote these lyrics. So, I mean, it's is it possible that that happened at some point, that she wrote lyrics and they were taken from her and given to someone else? Yes. Did she write Tatiso's twinkle. I don't think so, which was what people were saying online at the time. I I highly doubt that it was that specific moment because that was several years before she was kicked out of the group. I don't think right. Tatiso did anything after 2014, maybe one or two things, but that was all pre Jessica's departure. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of this too is the realities of working for one of these big idol companies where in effect everything you do is owned by the company and it's this right. isn't just with idols this happens with um major like tech companies and um other big companies too where you know there are cases um of like scientists who invent this great product or, or come up with a big discovery and they make no money from it because it's owned by the company so this is um yeah this is just 
it is a problem that um yeah of just you know big big corporate capitalism also jessica with in my personal opinion that she wrote these books for a couple of reasons one of them is to get her story out her side of it um because i was going through the press releases and how sm was describing her as she was leaving was not very kind and there and i'm sure that there's a bunch of people who still believe some of that even though some of the claims have been debunked over the years which same thing on the girls side that there's some things that people said about the members which have since been debunked as we've mentioned but then some of it though i think she had to be real careful in telling her side of it that she didn't say something that someone could use um, that she was talking about them that they would, that they could go give a lawsuit yeah. And defamation laws, to my understanding, are very, very strict in South Korea. Right. So definitely, it's sort of at the point she had to make it, put enough truth in it, but also make it fictional enough that, well, if they say this is me, A, they can't prove it, and B, then they're saying everything in the book is true, when I guarantee you that quite a bit of it is not. Like, I think that, like, people, a lot of times when the book came out, were trying to figure out, like, one-to-one, like, who is Jason? Who are right. these girl she's in the group with and I honestly I don't think they may have necessarily been anyone and I there was a theory I heard about Jason where I'm not even sure if he's based on someone that Jessica dated because someone said was like talking about all these like idols and I don't know who it was but someone pointed out you know who Jason reminds me of and then this person said that Jason reminded them of Beckham from Exo but <laughs> obviously what? Jessica's not yeah, well, it doesn't make sense <laughs> timeline-wise, but they thought they he reminded him of Beckyun, but Taeyeon dated Beckyun, and I didn't necessarily get that. But I was like, you know, I was like, you know, it could have been based on some other people, the experiences of other people she knew. Not saying that Jason is Beckyun, but that is a relationship that Jessica likely would have known quite a bit about. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I, I, I would agree that. It's likely that the scenarios um, and, you know, her emotions um, are, you know, coming from a place of, of truth, like her own truth, just things, yeah, things that she witnessed, um, how she felt. But yeah, the details, the specifics, the characters um, are all fictional, except for... Leah, who is, yeah, the pretty one to one with Crystal. It was also something that came to mind. And some of the scenarios were obviously made up or based on stereotypes of the industry, I think. Um, the one that I thought of this time around when I was reading it was the whole Jason, Mina, Rachel sort of oh. triangle conflict thing in the news. Do you want to explain that, um, what, what happened with that in the book? Or just like the So, basics? yeah, sure. So in the book, basically... Uh, I would say Jessica's character, Rachel, 
um, believes that she is dating and falling in love with another idol called Jason, who's already debuted. He's well-liked. They have so much in common-ish. They get along well at first. And then there's another trainee who she does not get along with, who she ends up debuting with, called Mina. And so while Rachel is thinking that she's having these great dates with him, in reality, DB has set her up, and Mina, but especially her, to make it have a story where that there were two girls fighting over him and all oh, this poor guy. But the difference was that Mina was in on it, Rachel was not. And they said they wanted to get true reactions because Rachel tends to freeze up when she's on camera. There's also a point in Shine where, like, Jason, like, shows, because Jason is Korean-Canadian, so he's, like, showing, so him and Jess- uh, Rachel, not Jessica, actually, but <laughs> Jessica's self character, they're bonding over that, essentially, and um, he's talking about how he's writing this music, and it's about being torn between two worlds, and, like, he is announced eventually that he's going to get a solo debut, and, like, that's the music he's going to put out, but um, DB twists it to be, instead of, like, oh, I'm stuck between two worlds, Rachel's like oh no like you idiot like it's not gonna be stuck between two worlds they're gonna interpret it as you're stuck between two girls and I'm like does that kind of stuff happen I'm sure it does even if there's not necessarily a scandal or something that happened within girls generation or any of the other SM groups that I'm aware of that maps to this perfectly because we would know if it did (laughs) right well I think of the number one one that I know of is the title track of Hyun Jin Yeon's second album. It was a song that he wrote because he was missing his mother who passed away a number of years prior. And so he wrote it about her, but then over time and like by the time it was released, it was a love song, but everyone knew that it was about his mom and just missing her because she wasn't in his life for a number of years when he needed her. Yeah. Whereas uh, with this specific conflict, considering Jessica's age, that's another thing is that she's about my age and she's from the States, West Coast. So I was thinking of like, what things would she have been exposed to that she might've pulled inspiration from? And my first thought was the Aaron Carter, Hilary Duff, Lindsay Lohan love triangle. Oh my God, you're blowing my mind right now. That is, it's really totally (laughs) forgotten about that. Because at first I was thinking only korean idols korean stars then i'm like oh but she could also pulled from the u.s because she would have known a lot about it and some of the stuff like how jason rises up in prominence reminded me of justin bieber so there were certain things where it's like i could see how she could pull something from here something from here in order to tell her story but have it so far removed to where people can say yes this is a fictional work and she can't get in trouble but there's also a thing of when you are writing a story and you are trying to write it you've got someone in mind a situation in mind the moment that you change it to fit whatever your narrative is or you add attributes to sort of change it a little bit then that character becomes their own thing to an extent because it's not the person anymore yeah so i think that's also part of it to where if someone saw themselves in the book they could say oh Okay, obviously that's me, but then that's clearly so-and-so. So, and it's like, oh, I didn't do that. Ooh, so-and-so did this? Like, you, I would not be surprised if any of the members had read the book and went, oh, that's not about me. Whew.
And, and even Rachel isn't necessarily a one-to-one because you can, I mean, I kind of saw Jessica also in the character of, um, there's this, this older girl group right. that she's a really big fan of. And she, she has this encounter with one of the members um oh the, okay so the group is called electric flower and then oh kang jina so she um yeah so she runs into this kang jina at like a like cafe or no it was there oh she was at it was like at night i guess in like one of those like stalls uh that sells food and drinks <laughs> but, but then um like she goes off on this all of this advice to the young Rachel and it really felt like today Jessica giving advice to like a young up-and-coming like girl group like aspiring girl group member so yeah so I think even Rachel is not necessarily a one-to-one with Jessica Rachel's storyline matches up like like just like the general of trained hard to be in a girl group was this position I believe that they're the same position because she's main vocal in real life. I think she was main vocal. She and Taeyeon, I think, were both main vocal. I'm pretty sure. I know that they had more than one, right? Because there's nine members and that was a lot of members, right? I think Um, she and Taeyeon were main. And then I think Sohyun, Tiffany, and Sunny were the lead vocals. I'm pretty sure. Which makes sense. Um, I'm always, I'm kind of salty. Sunny never really got too much around solo promotional stuff. But that's just personal. (laughs) Well, she's out of SM now, so maybe she'll pop up and get to do something, whatever. I mean, it's up to her, though, whatever she wants to do with herself, but yeah. Right. I wasn't sure if... I remember someone mentioned this a while back, and I don't know if it's still true now, but apparently she had a leg injury, so that's why like, she didn't really want to come back for choreo, I also that that heard, was a thing. I also heard that like there were some vocal trainers within SM that were like pretty harsh to her, so it kind of killed her confidence with her voice. I also right. heard that that was why she never did a solo debut so it's kind of hard to say i mean that's really really terrible because she has a beautiful voice but well we know that um i I, i'm an hot fan so i know that hot's j1 was always told oh we don't really you're not that great but we could train you up or oh you're not that great you should feel lucky that you're in this group because he was told twice that by once by director kim when he was um auditioning they were like there's nothing to you you're not gonna get a call back and then um he got a call back and he simon said i want to see you and they went you know what you're not great singing and dancing but you just the way you come in the door just you look great so come on (laughs) in we'll get you singing (laughs) lessons and now look at him he's such a good dancer and also it helped though after sm though he really got to know himself and stand on his own feet especially after fighting cancer even though it was Compared to what his mom went through, like he had the surgery, it wasn't an all-consuming thing. But he lost a lot of energy and confidence. And then he, you know, people kept pushing him, come back, come back. Why don't you try boxing and that? And now he has this confidence where he's holding almost daily live streams. He's now got somewhere to dance. He has two companies. He's licensed to be a boxer. Like he's really grown into himself. And when you see him at the HOT concerts, his solo stuff, especially, you just see him shine. Which he never, to that extent, before... So I think that there is a lot of breaking you down. And so then you have to get to the point where you're like, I'm okay. And I know that there are people who will back me. But I know that that's not the case for all idols. Some of them are just like, I've heard so much of it. I'm done. Yeah, it's totally respectable. But I think I was going to say previously that um, there's a scene in Bright 2 where she's talking to um, 
like a member, I think she describes this person and I don't remember the character's name, but like a member of a Western girl group. I think it's supposed to be like, oh, like bedazzled uh, spice girls. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be the Spice Girls and like Bosh Spice, aka Victoria Beckham. Now, whether she's actually ever had an encounter with Victoria Beckham like this, I think it might just be Jessica kind of putting herself in and sort of, you know, this situation. But she talks about like this character says, oh, you have to like realize what's just normal bickering and like when actual uncontrollable resentment is building up. And to me, that felt like very much like something I could see Jessica saying to someone because I think a lot of went, what went wrong with Girls' Generation was the environment between the members. I mean, I think I don't believe that you should ever take the clipped videos people make. Like they'll take things out of context and say, oh, so and so hates so and so. Like, I don't believe you should put any grain of truth to that but from if we take jessica's description of the working environment and what it was like in the group there does seem to have been some very heavy resentment and hostility with between the members and if that is true yeah i could definitely see her saying that to a younger idol actually it's interesting because the person i always so she's apparently friends with jenny from blackpink that i've heard i think you can like very like hear Jenny in one of like her vlogs or something but I, I always kind of like think oh that's probably like what she said to Jenny kind of because Jenny's quite a few years younger and debuted after Jessica was already out of the company but maybe not but that's who I always kind of picture her saying it to yeah that's I think really that she cute. could be someone who could have a lot of advice to give because she went through all the lows all the highs and then also standing back on her feet and saying I think this is the direction I want to go in. I think this is what I want to do with my life. And I think that that's really important for, like, yes, you have a dream when you're younger, but then you might find that the dream isn't either you've accomplished it and you're looking for something else, what's next, or it wasn't what it panned out to be and you want to move on. And it reminded me of a quote, I believe it was by Junsu from JYJ, who was talking about the length of the TVXQ contract. And he said that he was thinking in his mind that it would be when he was like in his 30s and, he's, and he thought, would I be able to look back on my life and be happy? that I stayed just for this one thing for so long. And he came to the conclusion that no, like he wanted more out of his life than to just be a boy group member. And he's done so much since. Yeah, he, I mean, he's had an incredible career on the stage. And um, now seeing him like, not quite like J1 coming into his own, but seeing him pop back up on you know, sort of mainstream Korean entertainment stuff has been pretty cool. Um, do you guys think, this is something that I was thinking as I read through Shine and Bright, but like, do you think there's an element of culture clash there just from this, you know, she is an American, come like returnee, like coming back to Korea um, and then having to interact with girls who were just raised in a very different cultural environment. Like the thing with Mina that I actually, <laughs> actually really liked her character um, because she, you know, she, she had this duty to her father that she was very concerned about, you know, meeting all these, these high expectations of him. And, you know, Rachel doesn't have that parent. I mean, she does have parental pressure. Yes, but it's, she doesn't, respond to it the same way and some of that I'm sure is you know personality but I, I just felt like there was this really big element of culture clash of an American coming into this Korean working context and just 
the you know the troubles navigating these two worlds did you did either of you see any of that at all or is that just me oh, reading yeah. into it yeah i would say so i thought it was interesting to see that because i think it's definitely something i'm sure she experienced and i think all trainees that are coming in from another culture in another cultural context whether they're you know korean by heritage or they're from korean families but if they're from like australia or canada or the u.s or or if they come from like japan or thailand you know sort of these places where they're pulling in people like absolutely they have to a lot of times learn a new language i think jessica didn't have to completely start learning korean from ground up i know that uh, tiffany pretty much did more or less she's also korean american despite what uh some people like to say but that's another story on of itself and it doesn't have anything to do with tiffany it has to deal with an award and people wanting to say their guy was the first to win it but regardless it's oh yeah. not point oh yeah yeah it's the uh it's the purple fandom <laughs> oh god the amount of people yes. who were like, this is the first time this has ever happened in K-pop. It's never happened before. And it's like, how are you? Oh, so then that must mean that you are aware of K-pop history. You know the 90s when idols would frequently yeah. go to the U.S. and would frequently <laughs> hold concerts, would be on U.S. shows and stuff like that. So you're aware of all that, right? It's never happened before, except for all the times it's happened before. <laughs> yeah, there was a group that just debuted who said one of the members was from Hawaii. And she said that she wants to be the first... Uh, k-pop act to perform in hawaii and it's like ooh, honey that <laughs> boat sailed a long time ago ooh, a long time ago there they even have j-pop groups that perform in hawaii she like. performed in hawaii so yeah and hawaiian idols too who have brought their group to perform in the country this is not new run for your life was um and this isn't to discredit the awards but it was tiffany when she was doing after she left sm she did some work and as a soloist in the u.s and she won an iHeartRadio music award for a song and i don't remember what it which award it was but she was the first korean to win that and she's korean american um so was it 2021 or 2022 um jungkook from bts won that same award so instead of just simply congratulating him like normal people we have to because and this isn't just a thing with army this is a thing with a lot of different fandoms and i think it's very much a generation the era of k-pop fandom we're in now where it's like oh he's the first one to do this and then someone was like well actually and then it became she's not actually korean she's an american she doesn't have korean citizenship and it got to the point where these people went to the arbiters of truth at Wikipedia and started trying to take out any mention of Korean in Tiffany's 
Wikipedia biography, which yep. I hope she just has no idea about and doesn't give like doesn't care about. But it became an issue where the good people at Wikipedia who are just don't realize they're dealing with K-pop stands have this long discussion about how we should acknowledge someone's ethnicity. So what they seem to have settled on was to say she's an American artist of Korean heritage. Oh, and they shut thought that, up. They thought that would fly. They thought that would fly. But I looked into this actually because I thought of it a few weeks ago. And there was a post from August with someone being like, so we got a bunch of other people that want us just to take the Korean thing out that weren't even involved in the original discussion. And here's why we did it. And I was like, oh, you sweet sunflower child. You don't realize who you're dealing with. Yeah. You're dealing with a fandom that wants to push their narrative that really has nothing to actually do with Tiffany. Sorry, this is like completely a tangent. No, but it's, actually no I deal with this all the time in yeah. first gen too, where I actively tell people, do not look at Wikipedia. If you are doing older groups, do not look at Wikipedia. Go to NamaWiki, get the Google Translate extension for Chrome. Do it that way. Even though it they tend not to link stuff, which bothers me to the no end, but you will have way more accurate information than what is currently on Wikipedia. And I personally have a gripe with the HRT Wikipedia because when it was originally put up there, they put a lot of stuff which was accurate, stuff that I've been able to verify with actual sources since. But then over time, people have taken stuff out or added stuff from K-pop academics. Oh. There's going to be a day when I do a whole video just debunking every single thing in that Wikipedia because there's so much where it's like if you actually did some research, you would know that this isn't true and how much of it is on public record you could easily access and you chose not to verify. Shame on you. Well, that's I mean, these are two these are two of my like big gripes and like Ellie what you were saying, you know, it it is so weird how this current generation of k-pop stands and you're right it's not just army but it's like they're all turned into these like race scientists like suddenly we're getting out like the calipers and like measuring like people's skulls yeah. you know it's like it's not good enough to say that she's yeah like she's korean american like what's like what is it, what's so weird about that and then yeah the i mean the academics that's like my my old hobby horse i in a way, it's it's it is nice that Jessica was able to tell her her own side of the story, get out there some of these things that um, you know. Even though it is a YA book, and a lot has been um, like sanitized, I guess for like a, a a younger readership. But there are still things that she puts in there that I think are important for. Um, for K-pop fans to understand things like that, mm -hmm. that love triangle, like we were discussing, you know, I mean, stuff like that does happen. Um, if that is based on the Aaron Carter thing, which I think you're probably right, like now that you say it, but um, that stuff happens in the K-pop world too, you know, where they put out the like, ooh, you know, are they really dating? Uh, you know, or, you know, we can all think of examples of couples that are like, quote unquote, exposed or, um, like, well, speaking of Jenny, like Jenny and Taehyung, like, was that, was it real? Is it fake? Um, it was publicity, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and tabloids like, like Dispatch, they, they sit on these stories and release them when it's opportune. Right. So it's, it, you know, it's all just a publicity game. And is there some truth behind it? Maybe. You can't say there's not, but you know, you also have to look at it like, oh, this is a promotion and understand that even though it's fun to gossip and, and, um, you know, analyze clues and it's, you know, 
have I discussed the Jenny Taehyung like like relationship in my little group chats? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean it's also not a publicity tool. So I think Jessica putting in things like that into these books is it's just such a great thing for I think for for K-pop fans to understand that you know this is an industry. I felt like a lot of this was a guidebook of warning for potential K-pop fans who might be thinking they want to become trainees and idols eventually because some of it like I know that there's a lot of people who are Asian in America who deal with racism and they think, oh, well, if I, you know, K-pop has Asian artists and there's a lot of people from different countries, so surely I'll be more accepted. And her showing that, no, that's not necessarily the case. Or there's also people, though, who are not Korean who might be thinking, um, I know that this is a problem with especially younger people who think that, oh, Korea is like the promised land where it's way better than America and there's no problems that they have to deal with over there compared to, at least compared to the US. That's what people think. And as someone who keeps up with the news in Korea, and I, I have to make a log of it for um, the K-pop Sundays because at the end of the year, we go through all the news and events. Like we pick certain ones where it's like this one stood out, but then we have a giant master doc that we also link because there's too much for us to mention in a single episode. And my gosh, if you think that Korea is safe and you're like, oh, it'll be okay, go look at that doc. <laughs> there is so much crime. And there are some absurd crimes that are going on in Korea right now. Like two months ago, we had a bunch of knife stabbings and th there's just a lot of stuff going on. And I think that with her book, some of it was warning, hey, you might think that you have a dream of dating a K-pop idol. You might think you have a dream of debuting, but before you run off and get your plane ticket or go audition, let's sit down and talk about the reality of how much can go wrong or be awful for you that you might see or experience or you might have to, you know, kind of ignore or hold on to because maybe you'll be under an NDA to where you can't talk about certain things you've seen or there's someone with too much power in Korea who you can't say much about, that sort of thing. And it is, I think, a lot of times when people do think that way, I feel like the fans that do are, I would imagine, mostly pretty young or they're just not mature, which could also be an right. adult fan who's not mature. But, you know, it's kind of this thing, well, if I don't see it, if it's not brought to my attention, if I'm not, you know, following the news, then it isn't happening. And then so when things do, you know, scandals that are actually pretty bad that involve the entertainment industry come up, it's like even more shocking to the system when it's like, no, that stuff was probably like that stuff's probably more widespread than you think. Because I mean, even in like, and it's not just a Korean industry problem. It's it's amused, an entertainment industry problem in general that there are people that are exploitative and abusive and you don't know, like, it's a facade in many ways. And I do think that, that Jessica did a pretty good job at conveying that because, like, what you see is not necessarily what the truth is that's going on behind the scenes. And you might, we might never see it, we might never know it, but there are unfortunately a lot of people that are, you know, not just, like, predatory behavior, but people could say one thing and mean another and you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors and even when you do you're probably only getting a fraction of it um and of the whole or it's like sanitized to be like oh funny stories where when we were younger and we fought in the dorms like that kind of right. thing and that's very low stakes but it could be 
a lot higher stakes. And I'm not referring to anything specific here, but it's just my knowledge of things that have happened in the industry that are public knowledge, things that I've heard people say that may or may not right. be true. It's just, you don't, you don't know. That's her. Na, 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 for Also, if you've never traveled overseas or lived overseas, you might not be prepared for a lot of things. For Korea, I was there for a year because I was working. And Korea, as like there's certain things when people ask me, you know, did you like Korea? Yes. Do you miss Korea? Of course. But are you going to go back and live there permanently? No. I was constantly warned that, hey, as a foreigner, they'll be harder on you than they would a Korean citizen. Mm -hmm. So like there were certain things, especially when you're a foreigner, even if like, like I'm a white person. So there's a lot of things that I do not deal with. I know a lot of people in this country do that some things, this rarely happened, that they'll assume that you're a dirty foreigner. If you've never experienced what that's like, it's not great. But then at some point it's like, you know what? I have to do this. I have to get through this meeting with something. Oh, well. Um, but there's a lot of certain things that because you are not Korean, you're going to have a difficult time with. Even if like I thought I was pretty prepped to go and there were still things that shocked me or things that I didn't know but luckily though my contract was only a year and also I was significantly older than at least but I would say by a decade when I went compared to most idols maybe two decades older than most idols who come to the country and how I dealt with it would probably I probably handled it a lot better than someone that age because I think of um Amber who was also in FX with um Crystal talk about her experiences coming you know, to Korea, because she's not um, Korean American. Um, she's Asian. She's Asian American, or is she Canadian? Mm -hmm. Is she American? Mm -hmm. I think she's, no, I think she's from California. She's either Taiwanese or Chinese American. I can't remember which, but her yeah. last name she is the West Coast vibe. Yeah, she's yeah, she's definitely from the West Coast, but I couldn't remember if I she was like, from Vancouver or. But I mean, it doesn't really matter. But yeah, but it, she, I mean, it might be a Mark situation where she traveled around. I'm not yeah. sure. Well, she's, let's just say she's West Coast, North American, Asian. But she, yeah, and hearing some of the stories of her, you know, California. having, okay, so Asian American. So she's LA, which also, I don't think people who are not on this coast understand that there's a humongous difference between the different parts of California, especially South, where LA is, versus like San Francisco, which is like oh, yeah. five hours away from me. Those are two very different cultures to where I have more in common with Jessica. I think Jessica's from San Fran than mm -hmm. someone from vegas who is in my state so yeah yeah no, she's from san francisco i believe okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. but yeah it's um it like hearing her talk about you know having to go over and there was like the culture gap the language gap and then um yeah just this idea that like the american attitude too that that you are like special and i don't know like i feel like if you're a foreign trainee coming over there is a bit more like you were plucked to to do this special thing versus you're competing against 
all of these other girls that are exactly like you, like from, Mm -hmm. you know, the, some suburb of Seoul. And, um, yeah, like it's, it is easy to see how resentments might build. And then you as the foreigner are not going to be aware of any of this. Like you're not going to be aware of any of the, especially if you're not living at the dorms, like, um, like Rachel, the character, but you know, not living at the dorms, you're not, you're not part of like the discussions that are going on. Like, yeah, it just seems like a very isolating, like a very isolating life. I mean, I guess there are some kids that just really, really want to do it, but it just seems like a very hard, a hard thing to do. Right. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, you can say, I was just going to say that. I I was going to pivot the conversation to talk about um, what comes after. So go ahead. Before I pivot. Okay, so I think a lot of kids when they sign up for it, they don't realize because they're so young. You know, you get right. trainees that are like middle school age, maybe even a little younger or a little older. They don't realize necessarily what they're signing up for um, because at that age, you don't necessarily have like obviously everyone has different maturity at every different age, but you don't necessarily understand exactly what is entailed of being a trainee. Like when I was younger, I think I definitely could have been like, oh yeah, I I could handle that. But as an adult looking at that, I'm like, that would be horrifying. Like, no, that would be terrible. Like I would not let my, like if I had a child, I don't have kids, but like if I had a child, I would not let them go and become a K-pop trainee. Right, right. Yeah, or if you're, you're Jensu, then your mom just makes you go and be a trainee. (laughs) And then that's your life. (laughs) Yeah. Also, Junsu's family had a very unusual situation, I would think. It's more unusual nowadays than it was in the past, Mm. where the Asian financial crisis hit a lot of people, and a lot of those kids ended up being second-generation idols. Yeah, that was was like all of TVXQ, basically, except um, Chungmin. Yeah, and same thing, well, then also Yuchun, who lived in the US, but of course the parent divorced, and then him moving to the States, and him dealing with all that. Oh my god, he he had it really rough. I... You know, and I know he has had some some issues, we'll say, but I I do really feel like he had a a very tough, a very very tough upbringing, and um, yeah, I feel I feel badly about how things turned out for him. Yeah, and also like four of the five members of HOD came from backgrounds where they did not have a good financial status at the home. Like Hee-Joon's mother's business went under and the foreclosure people came over and um, like Hee-Joon's guitar, which he was using to compose music on when he was in high school, they put a sticker to take it. Um, and that that really made him sad. And he said that he was at a crossroads where, because he was super bright and he was at the point where he was like, either I quit school and go work as a DJ or I go to college and hope to get a full ride. And then a good job to pay for my family and get them out of debt. Then you've got Wuhyuk, whose family, he used to be wealthy to where they had like a whole backyard and stuff like that. But then the father's business went under and Tony, his parents split and Jaywon, his mother passed. And the hospital bills, the expenses for that, um, racked up to where they had to move house. And that was also when he got sort of cut off from other people to where he just wanted to be alone and very quiet. And so him going into martial arts and then eventually dancing and then becoming a K-pop idol was really what, his, according to his dad, really saved him. Because he was so worried about him because he just couldn't handle a lot. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting when you frame it like that because you know we were just talking about like how hard it is to be an idol but compared to some of these other situations it's actually kind of better 
Um, and but yeah, you really don't see that as that kind of hard luck story as much like from the third generation on like well you know it was interesting like jessica's or sorry rachel's parents like the mom is like a college professor like she's um an intellectual you know working this like prestigious like professional job and then her father uh becomes a lawyer and yeah so it's um kind of a different family situation not sure as if a lot of the girls generation members none of them that I know of really came from like a really rough background like that um right. not that I'm aware of I know Sue Young's family is very wealthy Tiffany lost her mom at a very young age so there's that but I don't know if they were financially like from what I know that they were financially fairly middle class I don't know like obviously that's a horrible thing to lose your mom to go through that but right obviously um Sunny's uncle is Isuman I think her family has some degree of money um i'm yeah. not too sure <laughs> well, yuna, yuna also yuna's also another one whose mom well her mom yuna's mom walked off at a very young age so that i'm oh. sure was very hard too but like right. i don't think any of them came from like dire financial situations i don't think wait before yeah. before we pivot can we just go back to talk about um mr no for just a second yes Cause, yes like, yes yeah because like he was interesting as like the the isuman stand-in but it was it was funny it was like the character was benevolent to an extent but sometimes right. it seemed like he would say oh yeah okay that's fine no problem like we want to encourage you but then behind the scenes other stuff would happen right which we know that that's yeah. What happened with Isuman? The most obvious one that I think of is Isak and Gion, and how there were certain things to where when Isak first got there, how people were very kind to her. But then also, like, Isuman was the one who convinced her to stay in SM after the dissolution of the duo. But then, though, the company was also trying to sort of pin the girls against each other because they were going to be debuting Gion in the grace they had plans for that and they were just like splitting up and it wasn't until the girls sat down together and said so what's going on why are we drifting apart that then they figured out what was going on that they were just trying to they weren't going to say anything they were just kind of putting it on them to sort of figure it out and they were going to just kind of surprise them with it which is a pretty awful move yeah go ahead ellie oh i didn't i got the vibes that East, like Jessica, from what I like, if Jessica writing about like this Isuman stand in is being like, not like, okay, this is someone I have to be super careful with because like this is obviously a stand in for Isuman. I mean, who else could it be? But I, it, I got the vibes that she doesn't really have much against him. That was kind mm-hmm. of my, and that might be true. I mean, there's, you know, when you work with people, sometimes like the boss, like you're on okay terms with, or like there's certain people that you're not. And I mean, is Isuman a shady character? Like, absolutely. But I wouldn't say he's, I would say he's by far not the worst of the big K-pop CEOs. Like, I'd say I'd rather deal with him than quite a few of them. Um, So it's hard to say. Like, I would be really ruling an eye as if it was, if she was portraying someone like, uh, Yang Hyun suck. Like if she was portraying yeah. someone like him in a good light, I'd be like, okay, I have literally never heard anything nice about that man. <laughs> like, or, I think also the difference is that Isuman's main before he gets in trouble has to do with money, which 
um, for me, just going through like his history, he didn't get into the embezzling and all that crazy stuff until after he ceased to be an entertainer. So he stopped singing at the late 80s because then he had the cafe and then, of course, Hyun Jin Young came around. But then it was after H.O.T. came, he had the big break that then we started seeing him gradually pulling away from being like an MC on an entertainment show that he then just went straight into the business. And that's when we see the problems happening and certain goofing around with the money or certain characters who walked off with trademark IP, you know, that kind of thing. In the money stuff too, it's, it, it, he's almost a product of the era as far as money goes, I think. You know, I mean, business at the time was very much like backroom deals and handshaking. And if, if I don't get mine somebody else is going to backstab me and take it. So I need to yeah. get ahead of everyone else is going to backstab me. And unfortunately, I think he's kept the, some of those practices, even as the industry itself has kind of matured and backed away from a lot of, I mean, not completely, yeah. I'm sure some of those backroom handshake <laughs> deals, but everything I've heard about the K-pop industry, I don't think it's completely moved away from that, but yeah. That's neither here nor there. Nothing I can prove in a court of law. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All allegedly. Allegedly. But but what what I thought was interesting about Mr. No was exactly that kind of, you know, he does seem like this, not not bad, not good, but kind of reasonable figure. And then I I guess I wasn't clear um, maybe that, you know, things were happening behind the scenes without him necessarily knowing about it or just that he just never wanted to say no to anybody and that was somebody else's job to do um yeah it was he was kind of this interesting like shadowy character i i i enjoyed all of the the mr no interactions i have to say yeah i thought it was it was very interesting too and i mean it also depends on how the artists sort of see the person like i get kind of get the vibes from like jyp artists that JYP, the man himself, although I believe he's stepped back as far as like being in complete control of the company. I get the vibes that he's, at least publicly, more of like just a senior artist with his, you know, cringy antics and stuff. But uh, I I call him the cringy uncle of K-pop. But um, Wouldn't change a thing. (laughs) If they see him more like that, I mean, I can see it being a little different, although Isuman isn't as being like, I'm going to be a CEO and still be an artist like, you know, JYP is, but. Which is a shame. Because for a while, he did have, obviously, besides his own folk music, there were also mm-hmm. artists under SM who were folk artists. Because when he first started, he had Hyun Jin Young, who was New Jack Swing, eventually went into hip hop. You've got uh, Yoo Young Jin, who was R&B. Um, what's their faces? Oh, the classic. Um, you've got, uh, what's his face? The rock star, dude, who was only around for like one album. Well, they, they... And then there were issues with his outfit, and then he pieced out. I mean, they tried like all sorts of different genres, and there was that yeah. um, the rock group that they had that was trying to compete with like all the visual K stuff. Tracks, tracks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which tracks also has kind of an interesting history with um, suing SM too. Yes, well, one of yeah, the members, but one of the members did. Yeah, like nineteen years later, it was like actually. <laughs> Which it's like actually, okay, there were things over. that we suspected, but then. There's certain things that you suspect, but until you have concrete proof or someone who was involved in the thing says something, you can't go acting as though it's truth. And so hearing it from him, 
at a time when he could say something years later, it's like, okay, we were right. Yeah. Which was nice. No, I get but, it. You, you, yeah. I think a lot of fandom does try to do that sometimes, but it's not, it's not productive and you're just putting out negativity into the void that might not even be accurate. Right. <laughs> about the books that I've seen floating around um, in fan spaces and it is complete bullshit um, and that is Jessica outs one of the other girls generation members specifically people are saying that she claims Sohyun is a lesbian somewhere in that I have taken each of the like because I have this on Kindle both of the books I have taken each of the names of her group mates searched every single because when I read this I was like I think I would have like pinged that and been like okay this is like not good like you shouldn't do this there is no there's no outing of anyone in that book like none of the characters if you want to say oh this is her be it Sohyun or another member like none of them are stated to be their sexualities are never stated or it's never given an idea that they are lgbtq like that's but it's what people are putting out there and i'm like clearly none of you have ever read the book and i'm not seeing where it's coming from but i'm thinking someone was someone said it and then a million people ran with it that's the um like the the tumblr or like twitter uh like fan pipeline where somebody posts something and then it just gets retweeted so many times that it becomes true yeah. and it's not that's what happened to k-pop the boy group uh i don't know if you've heard the rumor that two of the members dated well i went through with a korean fan set in went through and we looked through all the sources original to the time and forward and tried to pinpoint where did that rumor come from and what we got from it was that there was a fight that had happened um, due to one of the members drinking excessively um, at a goodbye party for one of their staff. And he was known for being a fighty drunk. And so the other members just didn't really want to deal with him. So they were kind of piecing out until there was just the two members left. And the fighty one got kind of annoyed that his friend was getting up to leave. And so then he hit him and there was injury caused and so from that, then, like, and also, like, the member who got hit, though, he wasn't expecting it, and he requested, like, a separate waiting room, and the other member who, when he sobered up, he didn't think that the 
other guy was actually that upset. And so he was kind of goofing around about it. And he was like, oh, shoot, I actually hurt my friend. And they were on good terms. They are today, too. And he was he apologized to him privately, but also at a fan meeting because his initial apologies were just kind of like, ah, sorry about that. Get over it kind of thing. But then, of course, it was public. And he said, here's what I did. I'm sorry to my friend. I don't want to ruin the group over this. And then... A few years later, there were two fans that were speculating that they said, oh, I heard a rumor. And they were kind of like joking about it, like clearly like not taking it seriously. It was just, you know, kids, you know, gossiping at school kind of thing. But then a few years later, a journalist who was known for not having great integrity um, picked that up and stated it as though it was a fact, but she was using it to bash one of the members who'd come back to do try to do solo stuff. And then... A few years later, people remembered that article and said, oh, well, I remember hearing in the news about that. And then over time, it's, you know, telephoned into where people thinking it was true. And then international fans heard about it and spread it as though it was true. That does tend to happen. I can think, like, that reminds me. I always kind of joke. It's a joke, but I also kind of mean it seriously that I think the, the pinnacle of toxic international k-pop fandom will hit when a k-pop fandom goes somewhat full-on larry stylance and baby gate like they decide that yes people <laughs> are in love behind the scenes i kind of joke like everyone plays your bets on which group it's gonna be but it really could be any of them although i have some I, I there's some fandoms i think that are more prone to it than others but i and there's some idols where i think people really attach on the idea that that like this is their orientation and it's like you don't know them what are you doing and it's but yeah that's sort of like what i think of where the fans become so convinced that this is reality and then or they see something that plays into a reality that they want to see and then it exceeds just people writing fan fiction on ao3 or just making fan edits and just normal pretty normal fan behavior that i think is okay as long as you keep it away from the actual people Right. That's take on her PF, but uh, and then it becomes something a lot more and a lot more dangerous. But yeah, I, I always joke: place your bets on which fandom's gonna snap and go baby gate first. But um, it doesn't have to necessarily be a, a human child, and I hope it isn't. But I, I'm like, one of these days, one of these fandoms is gonna, it's, yeah. gonna cook. It's, it's gonna happen. Yeah. It's gonna be yeah. It's gonna be like ZB1 or. You know, I I just have. I think that they're the most likely, honestly, considering as how fans were talking about them pre-debut. Yes, yeah, yeah. I would. I don't. Yeah, I don't think it's the TVXQ situation though, where they found it on their own and they thought it was funny that they were kind of entertained by it. Not to the extent though where they were like, "Keep doing more. This is hilarious." Kind of that. There there are still truthers out there, though. There are still Yun J truthers. Yeah, I'm one of them. There's still Larry truthers out there that think. That oh, the, I know. That, oh, yeah. that an actual human child is fake. Like you know, it's absurd. Yeah. <laughs> Poor kid. Poor kid. yeah, yeah. Like there's a difference between something that's within your fandom versus going off and claiming it as fact, which as is the case with K- yeah. the K-pop situation. Well, and the problem but too is like you were dangerous. saying earlier, it that stuff ends up in Wikipedia. It ends up right. um, getting cited by these academics who should know better, but for some reason choose not to, <laughs> choose not to apply academic standards to their their work in K-pop and. It's so frustrating. Um, but yeah, again, like that's why it's great to see uh, Jessica putting it all out there. And um, even though it is um, packaged in this like YA book, I think um, I think it it does separate her from 
kind of the slew of k-pop novels have you guys encountered any of these other ya like princess they're they're kind of like you know there's like the trope of the cinderella k-drama story and a lot of these ones kind of seem like that yeah a lot of them are just kind of fluffy romance you know wish fulfillment sort of like kind of like ya-in fan fiction but just like actually published and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that i just think right. you know if you want to escape a spring candy it's escape a spring candy but i think you right. can't look at that as a general representation of what is going on or even what it would be like to you know be in a relationship with someone like this even though i'm sure some of those authors have very good intent and really do think about the logistics of well what would this be like we have to deal with saucings like all of those things like i'm sure right. some authors have really put some thought into it and care but this is a little bit of a different category than that i think because it comes from someone involved in it and honestly i think this right. is probably closest to the story of what happened when jessica left than i think we're ever going to get because i don't think i don't think any of the other girls generation members are talking as long as they want to be in girls generation and be in good graces of sm i don't think any of them are ever going to talk they're probably under ndas and i don't really think anyone else is going to talk either so yeah and so like getting sent like like chewing gum i mean that's either that again that's like the ya version of like getting sent period bond letters you know so it's um yeah or who knows what other horrific stuff that these girls get mailed i mean because there was that whole incident with the stalker for um that wasn't he like this german guy do you remember this oh i know you're twice right yeah 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 oh my goodness that was so scary or nyan she doesn't deserve that (laughs) no one does but yeah, and it's just the amount of them that have been around over the years. And also, the thing is, like, looking at how this behavior came to be and stuff. And it really boils down to one companies who let things get out of hand. Number one, you know, like publishing schedules, that kind of thing. Like, there's certain schedules you need to publish, like, hey, they're going to make an ap- appearance for this music show this day, of course. But there's certain other things, such as um, not all the time do you need photographers at the airport. <laughs> I feel like for certain things, but I like Jessica made a point in the book where she mentioned about how that is the one time where you can show off your personal style, that it's not a stage outfit, which I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. But at the same time, like there's a lot of people who it's like, you are literally traveling with that. You are going to be, and you're going for like a 12 hour flight. My condolences to you, man. I hope you get an aisle seat. That's all I gotta say. Interesting in that section too. She talks about seeing the um the fans that buy the tickets to be on the same flight, and but she was Mm -hmm. actually kind of like, oh, it was nice to see my fans on the flight, and I was like, really? (laughs) Like it was. Well, it might not have been the Sasang stuff. Like the Sasangs have their a lot of the wilder actions have um gotten more and more serious over time that is true. with that to where like there's been some stuff i've heard about bts i'm like ah <laughs> so or um, even just one like the stuff with wanna one was insane like, right like, remember where they had the like the flight had to get like they were all deplaned because these like sussing yeah. were throwing a fit yeah what's the Whereas, what's the one group that got like dragged into was it kazakhstan because like the president's daughter wanted to meet them vix like, isn't that Vicks? So like insane things. I mean, that wasn't the fan's fault. That was her dad being an idiot, I guess. But you know, <laughs> I'd be embarrassed. If- yeah. I thought it was. Oh, I would be so embarrassed if I was the daughter. I'd be like, I would be. I would probably like really die. Yeah, but I think though it's different though compared to older sussings. Like, um, Yeesung has mentioned that there was one time where Super Junior moved, 
And he couldn't remember the way home, but he saw some saucings and he said, turned to them and went, do you know where I live? <laughs> Can you take me there? <laughs> and then also I think about people like Hee-Joon, who said that there was one time where there were some saucings outside. And so he let them in his house and he said, they came in very quietly, very neatly. They sat down and we just had a good conversation. He said, it was a good moment. But then also, of course, the difference is that back then where... Um, it's similar now, but a bit different in that your schools were published, your home address was published, especially because a lot of idols in first gen, they stayed at home, not in the dorms. The people who were staying in the dorms were people from who were out of the area, such as Tony, who was from the US, or Uyak, who was from outside the Seoul area. Everyone else got to go home, so fans got to know like the parents of the idols. And like there's a story in um, HT's autobiography of J1's dad waiting outside for J1 with the fans and to where they were like, oh, it's J1's dad. idols who've passed in the past we knew where they were like their marker was or where they were buried what have you nowadays though a lot of people do not want to disclose that but some people of course they might not have a place either because some of those places are rentals you are not like it's not one of those you paid it one time and you're there forever it's not that way for a lot of places in korea which is very unfortunate so there's also that but things are not open for moonbin they didn't make it public Jonghyun's not public, Hara's yeah. not public, but I've have it's seen a picture of her. her. Yeah, there's some ones. Yeah. Whereas like Sungjae, fans not only know where it is, they are encouraged to leave gifts. Sungjae's they would sometimes meet up with Sungjae's mom there. Um Sungjae's mom planted a tree there. And um when there's like the anniversary of his passing or sometimes on his birthday or debut date, I've seen footage of where it basically looks like a fan event. It looks like you're going to a fan meeting and there's so much energy and people are just so excited to be there. And that's not the case though. With, and obviously that depends person to person too, yeah. because there are I some families, depending on how you handle your grief, but there's some people who, well, of course the Sungjae case is very different than the majority of these other ones to where we are still having arguments about his passing and the events afterwards surrounding it. That's still very much on the table, and the reason why Sungjae's mom wants to talk about it is because she's still seeking justice after all these years, and I'm on her side. Oh yeah, yep. definitely. I mean that that was just a tragedy. Oh, it keeps getting worse. <laughs> I did a deep dive this summer on it. It's awful. Yeah, I wonder if there's a difference too with the way that fans of the older 
groups like you know they're more likely to be korean themselves and like part of the same right. culture versus i don't know or just just the way that that people stand has changed um because i i honestly like i understand why the families of of idols like like moonbin would not want to make the final resting place public because honestly right. you never know that you know grave robbery or people trying to steal like pieces of of the the memorial like i i don't yeah like i honestly don't know like what what would happen i so i i understand why they would not trust fans <laughs> don't necessarily make it public i was gonna say it's also possible that they were cremated and that like the family right. just kept there isn't yeah. a public place at all. yeah and that's just their op they don't want to disclose that either which is understandable or they sp um, spread their remains, scatter yeah. the ashes, which is very common to do for ashes, which is very understandable because, especially for ashes, they are very easy to transport. And so you don't want to, you know, accidentally knock over this expensive urn that you got that's not metal and could break. Or, again, with the whole digging up um, that happened to Sungjae's gravesite. No. Um, that was did. part of it. it was, oh that was the God. part of it. Um, I don't believe his ashes are buried there. But that was when she was throwing away the gifts and she was like moving everything. That was, yeah. Oh my that, God. This person went extreme and all, and it was over a series of months. She had even gotten in the groundskeepers in on it. Like it was a whole betrayal to his family who they'd built up, you know, a relationship with the groundskeepers. But, but I don't know if his ashes are there or if it's just a place where they were marking it. I'm not sure. That is insane. I was going to go like lighthearted, but like, I don't know, like the- Sorry, I, Sungjae is just that. Yeah. Well, of course, we got to talking about death, which no, we'll probably sorry. have to cut all well, Yeah. No, because I, I, <laughs> I was going to go with like, oh, well, I heard that people tend to scatter ashes like in the Haunted Mansion at Disney. That was, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And they really don't want And then want they have to clean them up. Yeah. That, like, which is no, you, just... your granny's going in the dustbin, honey. Don't do that. No, don't, don't, do don't do that. Or in another poor rider's space. <laughs> but like actual grave robbery. Oh my god, I hadn't heard that. That's intense. I think that my, I'm gonna have to go back and read it, but the, I think that trying to dig it to the ground oh. was one of it. I know at the very least she, uh, Sungjae's mom planted it in a tree. Yeah. So I know at least that was uprooted. That she yeah. had to dig around to get that up. There was so much nonsense that happened. But I don't think Sungjae was there. I don't think his ashes are there. I think uh, Hwan Sung's ashes are at his actual memorial, but I don't think Sung Jae's yeah, are. Yeah, because I've heard, um, I have a, a, there's a family friend who's a groundskeeper at a cemetery where a celebrity um, is buried, and I have heard that his remains are not actually under where the tombstone is because right. of worries about that. So yeah, I can believe it. Or like in my area where because of different... Um, building constructions there have been times where graveyards have been moved and then they've accidentally left bodies behind so when a building got leveled and they're digging down to build a new building they find more bodies who were uncounted for because one of the areas where that happened um it used to be a potter's field so what i'm hearing is we all have to worry about poltergeist being actually <laughs> yeah <laughs> there is a yeah there's an amtrak station when i take amtrak i won't actually go to because like i can find visiting my parents there's two stops i can get off at but the, there's one that i absolutely will not get off at and that is because someone told me once that they built that train station over a uh what was once a slave burial ground oh, and they gosh. didn't actually bother exhuming the body so like 
I mean, that's completely off track, but like, yeah, that's just that. Don't mess with the dead. Like, just, okay. just don't. The zoning that also has to be done nowadays for that. It's like, just get yourself a new land to where that you don't think anyone's been through. Yeah. Get that ground penetrating radar in there. I'm not going to be one of those idiots who's like, let's go dig up the dead for memes. Like, I understand, like, we're going to go solve, like, with DNA, you know, a murder case. That I get. Like, if you're murdered, get yourself, you know, embalmed and buried. Yeah. That way that they can go back to it. Whereas, like, with the Sungjae case, they cremated them. So anything that they could have pulled still, like, any sort of, you know, with advancements in DNA and such, they can't do that. So reopening investigation to Sungjae's death would give you limited stuff. But I think that the reexamination of it is more to make sure like who was lying and what other things were missed well so, let's yeah, yeah i know this is all gonna get no cut no, out. no it's actually i'm probably gonna I'll keep it <laughs> but let's let's pivot um just because i have to i have um pumpkin picking mm -hmm. youtube kind of talk about like sm maybe and yes kind of since you know the the in the books um shine and bright there was this db entertainment which is a stand-in for sm and um it, i i especially after doing all that research into tvxq i've really come to think of sm as really the pillar of k-pop i mean i think without sm you don't have k-pop and yeah. the company itself is absolutely fascinating and you know isuman as a, a figure is fascinating um, but it, it is kind of interesting to to have kind of followed this journey and then the whole mess that happened this year. <laughs> and oh, yeah, so I've been tracking all of it. Yeah, so and yeah, to include like breaking news that you sent me, Oldar, the um like oh, this no. the arrest was it was there actually an arrest or mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I don't know They were warning that they had an arrest warrant out for certain people involved in the deal they've been saying that for months but to see people actually being escorted out it's like woohoo we are so serious are they, are they arresting people in sm or in hive no cacao cacao yeah oh cacao i'm sorry was because say. hive made a complaint saying hey there was some funny stuff going on with the money with sm and cacao and the and people went oh very interesting That's and so then there were stuff seized and then uh, they're making arrests there um there's quite a people that have been arrested this year like i don't know if you've uh read the news about um there were movie theater like 
I think it was like movie theater owners, distributors, like there was a whole raft of people in different positions who all got arrested. There was like either 40 or 90 arrests of different people for fudging the numbers for mute for movies yeah, um, this summer. So a lot of people have been arrested now. That doesn't mean that there's going to be charges um, or that they do charge them. And then either it gets dropped when they get more evidence or um, it's found as not guilty under the law for whatever reason. Like there's a lot of complicated things. But seeing people, though, getting arrested, though, like that's going to stay in the news. Yeah. And and also that, you know, the fact that there are people arrested, they're not necessarily outliers. That's the thing. Right. I You know, it's there's a lot of reasons why one company might get picked on and another one doesn't. Um, but yeah, just because there are arrests made, it doesn't mean that company is an outlier. Cause I feel like SM gets painted like the evil empire by certain fandoms, you know, like they're this, you know, like they're, yeah, like they're the evil empire in Star Wars or something. And Isuman is Darth Vader. And I'm like, the truth is a lot more complicated than, than just that. SM also, I think they do have their whole, you know, SM CU thing like their branding yes but I think that they don't as much as some other companies do they don't sort of push themselves as this benevolent force like they don't they don't try to like yes they have SM as a brand but I'm thinking of one company in particular who will remain nameless but they don't seem to be out there controlling the narrative of sort of like what people think about their company where I think that there's another pretty big company that is very much does that and I do think that it's probably intentional um so i mean i just don't think sm is as good as driving that image of what they are as an entity as this other company is to their credit i think this company is going to get karma eventually but you know that's (laughs) i think sm has been great at building the brand of themselves as these um as like the, the the artists um and like and they've done that by putting out consistently good product. I mean, there's a yeah. reason that SM has stuck around for this long. And short sure, part of it, do they have um, some some monopoly powers? You know, can they get better visibility for things because of the SM brand? Sure. But I think without um, the quality to back it up, they would not have lasted as long as they did. Because there's a right. reason that pretty much the only um k-pop things that i've had like on repeat like all year um has been like you know like the xo album and like shiny and um so it's yeah there's definitely quality backing up and they've they've been very good about keeping that sm branding um and not releasing garbage under the sm name yeah whereas we've seen with yg they're they were the hip hop label back in the day, and that is long gone. Long Some of gone. it was because of music pivoting, because um, YG let certain artists have control over their music to where they could change the direction of it. But some of it was also YG tracing trends, like we saw him do that with Lexi and Seven. Where if you look at the 2002 YG Family album, the styling for Lexi and Seven are very obviously hip hop. And then they got, you know, turned into pop, which Seven is interesting because he was not only able to change genres, but also he was able to make the leap from 1.5 to Generation 2. Mm. No problem. I think that's fascinating. Whereas with Lexi, she was a rapper, but she got put into pop. Now, Luxury is a great album, but that wasn't her, what she'd trained for. Now that's where she's kind of stuck. 
compared to being an actual rapper. But YG, the whole hip hop thing that they used to have back then is not a thing anymore. And then also consider versus SM. SM is always pivoting and trying new things. But they're also smart in that they don't try to put themselves... Very loud motorcycle went by, sorry. <laughs> um, but they also don't try to put themselves in a box with their music. Like they just, They're very general in how they do it. To where you don't know what to expect. It might be more noise music. You might get ballads. You might get pop. You might sometimes get rock. Yeah, it just depends. They, they didn't like put themselves in a box. A little bit ahead of the trends, right? Like they're they're more likely to be setting trends than I mean they, they yeah. certainly they'll follow them, but um, I feel like you're more likely to hear something like a little ahead of the curve because I mean that's that was the joke with like the shiny songs like for ages so that like they would come out with their new title track everyone would hate it and then you know a couple weeks later everyone would love it and then everyone else would put out songs sounding like shiny right and sm does have a history of they do something people copy them that is absolutely first gen is the most obvious i think because there were multiple times where especially with hot where they would just flip the industry to where even bigger companies than them would be following their leads, such as DSP, which was very much bigger than SM by the time that HOT debuted. And yet they, when they were going to debut a duo, they went, oh no, we need to follow after what SM did with HOT. So then they came back, added four members, and we got Jackies out of it. But I think also the reason why we always talk about JYP, YG, and SM is because we know those figureheads because they've all been performers themselves. Whereas a lot of other companies, like I don't recall, maybe that's just me, the CEO of CJES being a star, you know, on the stage kind of thing to where they're kind of personable that way. But you sort of see how the company changes after the CEO pulls away from being on stage. Whereas I think the good thing about JYP is that he does some managing. Like I feel like he's pulled away from that more recently. But he's never pulled away from the music to where he's on the ground seeing like, okay, this is how the stage goes. Here's what I'm seeing with trainees and idols and what they're doing, what outfits. Like he's paying attention to what other stuff is seeing. Like he's seeing it with his own eyes. He's not just leaning back. And I think that that makes it very interesting for JYP. But I think JYP is better as a start off label than staying there long term. Versus SM, depending on the artist or history or how they came in, where the company was at, really depends on if they stayed or not. Yeah, like, that makes sense. I think yeah. also, uh, back to YG, I think YG is also a really interesting example because if you see where they where they are now, like obviously they still have quite a bit of success, but the success that they have now, compare, I would say very much pales in comparison to where they were, let's say, 10 years ago. Um, because I think there's sort of a question there where what happens when you get hit by huge scandal? And I mean, other companies also got hit, but they got the brunt of it. And right. I think, um, obviously, I'm talking about Burning Sun, which is very complicated. And I don't know of anyone that in the English language that has ever done a very good. Like, there's some that I think are passable, but I don't know if anyone's ever really got into all like the nitty gritty of what was going on because there were so many moving parts. And I personally, it's my opinion that we still don't know the whole story. But yep. um, regardless, uh, that's also the rumor I heard. But that's it's it definitely feels like it's still developing because um, with the Sunbase, we did debate about doing a retrospective on it and looking at where those artists were um, before the scandal, what happened to them versus where are they now? Because some of them have come back, some of them haven't. So, yeah. there, but we, 
eventually decided that no, it's too early because there's still absolutely. I think everyone's out of jail now, prison. Oh. I think everyone's out of prison now. Yeah, well, oh, and please. and some some people are doing DJ sets in like <laughs> Southeast Asia, which uh, yeah. Wait, that, is there a son who's now? Yeah, he's but he was doing DJ stuff before, but. Last I heard of him was that a bunch of fans were meeting him in Southeast Asia. So that that's just why that's the last I heard of him. Which, yeah. that's what typically happens. Not Except for, like, idols like, well, I don't think he counts as an idol. But Hyunjin Young, how people were not meeting up with him. <laughs> and he, not, he, he did not go flee to another country and work with fans. Whereas, um, I know that with people like uh, Yuchun, who he, when, of course, Korea turned their back to him, he had fans in other countries that he could go see. And same with Jae Jung, how he did so much activity in Japan because he had that language. Whereas if you've got someone who the most of their fan base and also their language abilities, their connections are just in Korea, when they have nothing else, then you do not see them come back or are active. Yeah, I think, um, so yeah, I would agree that that's still very much something that, A, I don't think we've scratched the surface of it. So it is really hard to do a retrospective because there is, I mean, very much, I think it's very possible that in the next few years, we'll see a Burning Sun part two, not necessarily with the same players, but um, I could very much see a scandal breaking out that is very much in connection with Burning Sun. I mean, I I don't want to say what I've heard specifically on recording, but uh, there's some shady stuff that goes down with some companies and it it happens everywhere in every industry. Um, yeah, well, you know what, it, it's... Yeah, like, I mean, the the entertainment industry is shady, like, no matter what country right. you're in. Um, and, I mean, not to pivot all the way back to the, the books again, but there were a couple points in there where Jessica, she just drops, like, these little breadcrumbs. Like, I think there's an offhand mention of Mina sleeping with one of the executives, and it didn't seem like it was necessarily consensual on her end. You know, and that's if 100%. I mean, I yeah. don't have any accusations, of course. It's not, and even if I had heard rumors, it's not my story to tell. And who knows yeah. if it's right. even true, but I, I've definitely heard rumors about CEOs being groomers. There was that, and then there was also the um, this was back in Shine towards the uh, beginning, I guess, where she goes to the Rachel goes to a party at the the um, trainee house and there is a question of whether she is drugged I don't yes I don't think it's made explicit if I remember correctly because you know she could have just drunk too much but there is also this question of was she drugged and the fact that it's even something that that is a question you know that that she might may have been may have been roofied um, to me, that was also like a little breadcrumb of, you know, these things happen, um, you know, watch out because you may get drugged and raped and have it filmed and then end up in somebody's golden phone. Uh, yeah, there's just a lot that goes on. I mean, it's Don't. hard to say. Even if she, oh, sorry, I didn't want her out. I was going to say, even if she wasn't referring to anything specific, like, she absolutely heard things. Right. She absolutely would have known, right. like, whether it happened to her or someone she was close to, which it could have. We don't know. And I think it's good, though, that she, again, that she layered it with some things can be generalizations to where maybe it wasn't something that she saw, heard, experienced, but it was something that is known in the entertainment industry and she was just, you know, talking about it and i think also that there is a morality in this book 
where um, there were a couple articles in the early 2000s about, about the morality of idols. They're training so young and they are around this sort of environment. So then they sometimes pick up those morals and then we see them as the next generation of corruptness. Um, but then, of course, they have fans who are on their side. It's like, well, you know, this, 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 this. But it's like, yeah, but you, especially with idols, you can be a product of your environment. And I think that's also a big thing of companies having idols live in do a dorm situation like that. Obviously, nowadays, we hear more of that idols are living at home than there were in the past. But that was absolutely a thing of, oh, it's also bonding. But then and also it is more convenient when everyone's together, like Jackie's. Um, there was a time where they were addicted to video games. So they would go to a video game parlor and then they would just hang out there all night. Then and then in the morning, their manager would come pick them up instead of having to go to five different places. So <laughs> that is yeah. a thing. But um, I think, though, having the balance of you have like you're you're still at home with like your parents and still around normal people who are not in that environment who do not see some of this crazy stuff as being normal. I think that is hugely important, but I th I think that that is also a huge aspect of it. Like there's certain things like with Sungri for instance, where I don't know if you guys remember when Strong Baby came out, when that was recorded/released, he was still underage by a couple of weeks, I believe. Oh, and also yeah. I was surprised that he was younger than me. I, for years, yeah. thought he was older than me. No, he's like eight months younger than me, so then that made me mad. And then also, certain things that YG, like, are publicly known that he said to Sungri, it's like, you know what? I think that the Burning Sun, like, the extent that everything got to, might not have happened if you had shut your mouth, YG. Where I tend to fall with that is that it's very much, with Sungri, it's a lot of environmental, like, Ish things that we can track as to how he became or what yeah. he did or what he didn't do. I mean, obviously that still can be quite controversial in some fan spaces, but I think the way people turn out is very much because of their environment. So you kind of have to look at like, okay, well, what causes someone to become like this? And a lot of times it's indicative of what they're surrounded by. And I'm sure there are a lot more summaries that we know um in the industry i'm just gonna say that and some of them i'm yeah. sure no like no one would guess so yeah the thing that also gets me though is sometimes when people are like this idol is so powerful that if they did something no one would ever know that they can have the power to to cover it up and sometimes when they list people like that it's like <laughs> like the person <laughs> that they'll list when they say that it's like no they're not <laughs> don't understand that all of these idols are disposable 
you know, they're all disposable. Even, you know, even we've seen um, the CEOs are disposable, like Isuman, mm-hmm. disposable. SM is is going to keep going. They may be like a zombie company. You know? yeah. um, <laughs> we're shuffling along without like a, a brain, but, you know, what it's what is it um entropy right you know a body in motion will remain in motion and so because i've heard it from the you know the purple fandom that you know they're that this group is so powerful these um idols are so powerful they can do whatever they want no one can stop them they're disposable just like every other idol in the industry they're disposable no, they are and i think a lot of the times when it depends on how much money the company is willing to spend to uh, make the things go away or what they're willing, who they're willing to throw under the bus. And sometimes the yeah. person they're willing to throw under the bus is the artist under them. I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily a secret that that happens. It's just no. sort of how it works. Especially nowadays when everyone's gunning for just, okay, so that there was this scandal we're merely going to kick him out regardless of what's true or not. I think of like Kwang Jin from and flying cow. He ended up leaving the group and then he went to court to sue all the people who were making those claims about him. And he was like, this is not true. But if I had just stayed in and fought it, that would have dragged everyone else down to where like, yeah. and then of course he's living his own life, doing his own thing. There's certain people that to where when there's these big scandals, it affects a lot of people. So letting go of the idol, even if, the accusations are a load of bunk is way easier because I, fans will get over it over time. Or as I've seen with certain second gen groups where they villainize the person, even after it's found out to be bunk. And it's like, you knew that this was a lie. Well, I still want to, I still am siding with this. Yeah. Even though it's a lie, they still turn anti. Yeah. Like I that mean, is very dangerous. People still villainize Jessica. I mean, I don't necessarily yeah. think that's right. I don't think any of those girls should be villainized because right. none of them individually, I don't think, had the power to do that. It was the forces in the company that did that. Like, if they, the other girls did, like, is alleged, decide they didn't want to work with her, well, then who set that environment that it became something like that? Exactly. And also, yeah. well, this, you also reminded me of something in the book when um, the, Rachel was talking about setting up her business and how she pitched to the company. One thing that I was thinking of was, how she approached it was like a business person. Uh, we would do this. Here's the return on your investment, yada, yada, yada. How many other idols or members, like specifically in that situation, when they were petitioning for solo stuff, did they approach it with that manner to where this is a business person you're talking to? This is not your friend who is, or your teacher who is trying to get opportunities for you. This is not your parent. This is someone who's here to make money. Even if they're nice to you and, you know, you work with them, at the end of the day, they're there to make money. You are, in all sense, tens of purposes, either the product or the salesperson for the product. So when you are saying, I would like to venture into this, da 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 you need to be able to say, here's what it is. And I think with Rachel's character, she was able to explain it as, you know, in addition to investment, she had a track record of you invest in me here's where it's going to pay off you invest in me you get take a chance with me here's where it's going to pay off and i think that that strategy helped at least rachel and we don't know if the girls approached it like that and i think that's also hugely important for how they would be received right because there was the one girl who wanted to have like the baking channel on youtube or something and mr no or whoever was like no you can't do that 
Um, but yeah, you're right because Rachel was like, well, this is, this is how this is going to help the brand. This is how it's going to help you. But like a baking channel that's going to help. Cause I think she was the one who the family had the restaurant maybe. Right. Yeah. It was yeah. like helping her family's business, which she like yeah. cared about. Yeah, but it would have helped them than necessarily the company. Yeah, and all that reminded me of TVXQ too, with the family restaurants with the makeup. and all oh, that too. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, um, I was like, oh, flashbacks. With also, but again, although if she had sold it as I want to get the YouTube channel, but um, it like there's like a tie-in. Yeah. Where it's like, um, like for instance, SM. I don't know if they still do has a cafe. And it's like, yes, this could be, yeah. you know, people come here to get this, like they can make them at home. But then if you want the real deal and all the different choices and stuff like that, you go to SM, you know what I mean? Like they, it, the, with the member of DB could have approached it like that. Did she, did she think about how to bring it back into the company? Because the company is signing off on something that affects their brand, their name, and potentially they have to put their money up for and their connections up for they want to make sure that it's not just going to be a bunk thing, especially like with like the actual company SM, for instance, when they did the HOT movie, Age of Peace. The problem with it was that they had too many ideas. They were like too futuristic to where then it became a mess at the end of it. And then that was when they had like the whole canceling thing. And then how they produced um, the Super Junior movie was very different. Like all the stuff that went into that, there was much tighter control. Of course, there was a whole side business involved with it that they'd um, bought up. But I think though, at some, especially um, there've been members of Girls' Generation who've mentioned that um, when they've gone to therapists, how their therapist has mentioned that they have the mindset of a teenager, not an adult of their age. And so yeah. how many of those idols will try to pitch something, but because they're so much younger, they don't know how to approach an adult to have an adult conversation where money is involved and you're making an investment. How many people don't know how to talk like that? Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to um, uh, bring up the Creebu thing, um, which was the JYJ members. And, you know, where this they did go to SM and the situation was, you know, if you want to run these little Creebu stores to own like a, a shop and you have your family run it, that's fine. But the moment that you start to associate the TVXQ brand your face which we own we as sm own your face um that's where the problem comes in so um yeah that's which i think was that that's what i kept thinking of with the whole like running plot line with the uh, bakery was these creebu shops um and yeah like that because the company does they own the brand they own the face they own they own you so if you can't if you can't pitch something to make it work for the company then you're out of luck as an idol, basically. But you also have to think of, especially with these publicly traded companies who have investors mm. who might be like, I just want the money. Yeah. Where we saw that problem with YG and Blackpink, especially after all the Burning Sun and YG's departures with that. So where we did see this pivot of, we got to make as much money as possible because we need that return and how much that affected the company. Like there were so many people who were accountable who didn't necessarily want to be there for the music or even the brand or even protecting the brand because that's something that um i think we may see change with sm as things go along because we've definitely seen it change with yg where right there it doesn't it certainly does not mean the same thing that it did 
10 years ago that's for sure right. but yeah i yeah we should wrap up but i have an important pumpkin picking uh <laughs> pumpkin picking date but um we definitely got into a lot of really good angles well maybe we can wrap it up like this would you recommend people read shine and bright if they're k-pop fans or even just fans of um like like entertainment industry books Yes, I would say that even if you're like, oh, this is kind of silly with the whole in the first book, the romance line, or some of the drama-ish that's in the books, it still gives a perspective that's more down to earth about what's going on in the industry. And especially if you're someone who gets caught up in the whole, oh, this is such a good person, I'm such a fan of them, or you really love their music and you want them to do well, or if you're a company stan, this, I think, will sort of ground you and let you know, hey, it can be great and all these great things, but there's also this that you don't know. Yeah, I would say definitely uh, that. I think you have to read it with that sort of mindset um, of like, that this is really the closest I think we've ever gotten to really one of these idols in you know multiple languages, the books available in sort of saying like, this is what it's like in the closest to say like, this is what it's like in all of its... Um, you know, not necessarily always pleasant details. Um, I mean, there's definitely been hints at it. And if you talk to people, yeah, you'll hear things. But it's, I think, from an international fan perspective, it's very hard to sort of realize exactly what is happening. And that's why you get people who think that, oh, it's all great, or everything's great, or like this image that they're presenting is 100% factual when anything could be happening behind the scenes. We don't, we don't know. And, um, until we get a giant K-pop expose like that, I don't think we're probably going to get any time within the next few decades. <laughs> I would, I would love. There's one company I want a whole freaking expose on because I think it would be so fascinating, and uh, it's one of the big ones. But um, actually, any of them. But there's one I really want an expose on. But you know, until we get something like that, I think this is sort of the most closest thing to what you would consider a primary source, even though it's fictional, would be. Right. Even with the autobiographies that we do have of vitals, to my knowledge, except for the new BTS one, which I've not read yet, so can't really give an opinion on, they're told from their perspective, and also they're not in English. Hyunjin yeah, Young's and- is in Korean, H.O.T., Jackie's, um, Harasu's, there's a bunch of them who are not in English, and also you cannot find them unless you are in Korea and there's only physical copies. I have so I think this the, is important. I haven't read the BTS book myself yet, but I, from what I can understand and like the excerpts I've seen and I've seen people talking about it, it does seem like very much a, a hype product. So I think I kind of question because they're all still under hype. Would what they're saying and not saying like that anything they say isn't like authentic and true to them because I'm sure there's a lot in there that is. Uh, but I'm thinking like it's gonna be what they um, are pushing for like the brand and the narrative as a group and what they want the fans to see. So I don't want to call it propaganda, but there's probably some of that in there. So I think you know when one day we see BTS members leaving Hybe, if any of them decide to write a book, then I think that would be more of yeah something that I would lean more credence into. Not saying that anything they may express in that book, because apparently, like, I think Yoongi gets apparently pretty deep with, like, his own struggles with, like, mental health. Like, that's all legitimate, I'm sure, but it's still framed by the company in a way where Jessica is not accountable to SM anymore, so she can kind right. of say what she wants to. Yeah, and on, on top of um, on top of that, I think they're just kind of fun YA romps. You know, just as, um, I think that, yeah, they I think there is a lot in there um, as a K-pop fan reading them. But I think, you know, if you enjoy 
just like a YA. I'm not going to say trashy, but I will say light. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they're, yeah, they're just, yeah, they're just, they're fun to read as like fluffy novels too. So you don't, you mm-hmm. don't have to take it deep. Um, you can just enjoy them as, as novels. Um, so yeah, as kind of like a counterpart to what's that book uh crazy rich asians or something you know right so yeah so i think putting a bow on shine and bright um is there anything else that you want to touch on before we or to promote older do you want to give your spiel for the um sunbays um so sure so if you somewhat liked what you heard i say somewhat because um the k-pop sunbays our big deal is doing research bringing sources that might be Korean language only or are about uh, older artists that you might not have heard of and getting to basically the base of what are the facts, not just the gossip that you've heard or translated. What are the facts? And we link sources for so much of it. So if you're interested in that type of a deep dive, um, this year we did debase um deuce the grace. I think, and what was the yeah. other one the grace that's right that was, that was, Jer- was gonna series. kill me that was her big project yeah that was a great series did you listen to that one ellie it's really good i don't think i've listened to that one yet but i'll, I'll definitely give it a listen yeah. oh i didn't know you actually listened to any of my stuff <laughs> I, I have listened to a few of them oh wow um, I, I like putting podcasts on in the background while i do stuff with um i know cast the reason why she knows this the reason why i don't keep up with her stuff is that i have to pay attention and then, like, I'm searching up stuff and wanting to have a conversation with her at the same time. It's hard. And so it's, it's very hard. involved with me. I'm very involved with her. Um, but next year, we are, there's a first-gen group and two third-gens. Well, I think one of them might be considered second-gen. I Offhand, I don't recall. Um, next year, um, the HRT project still hasn't been released because, my gosh, we have, this past year, I found more about Hyunjin Young. And he has answered the majority of the questions I had about HRT because he was there at the beginning of SM Entertainment and he he understands he's a historical figure who needs to tell his story. So trying to parse that is what's making yeah, everything it takes so long. criminal the way he's been written out of K-pop history in English. I understand criminal. why, but yeah, I, understand I do why understand too, why because to an it. extent, <laughs> it's the same in Korea. But my problem with doing that, though, is that his story is one I believe that every idol should learn about because it shows his high of debut, his low times, and how he rose. Like, I think of him as a phoenix. And also, There's, if he's you, the phoenix if, of K-pop. If you pluck him out of the story, it also doesn't make all that much sense. That's the other thing that kind of gets me, is that if you take him out, then the story doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, yeah. He's especially for SM, you will not understand why they made HOT. You will not understand TVXQ if you do not understand him. Or you will, but it will be very superficial. Yeah. Compared to understanding that this led to this, which led to this. Right, which is why so much of this early K-pop history in English is so nonsensical is because they don't have the full story. Or they don't want to. Or they don't want to. There's some people who, they've heard a couple names and they go off that. Yeah. I mean, there's some people that definitely they want to push their own narratives, which a lot of times is supporting their favorite groups. So they'll skip over years, if not decades. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's the thing about being an HOT fan. I'm ready to (laughs) say, look at these idiots. Like, there's some things like with HOT Project, we are not, I'm not diving into every single scandal that happened after the group disbanded because the whole point is explaining to you here's HOT, 
here is why they're a big deal and why you should know their name. They're not just an old group that just exists in the past. Yeah. And like that's the angle I'm going with. They're, um, some of the members are still pretty active on social media too. So I, yeah, I enjoy, are, yeah. um, yeah. So Jay Wan, he just published yeah. a little, um, <laughs> I know I was, I was messaging you about it, but he published, um, a, a, uh, a, like one of the, like a TikTok like dance challenge of him doing Jungkook's 3d and it's adorable. Yeah. He is a 40 something year old man, but it 43. is adorable. Yeah. Anyway, um, Ellie, did you did you have anything you want to promote, or just just you? Nothing right now. Be yourself. Yes, I'm just here. <laughs> I enjoy talking about stuff. No, I enjoyed having you on, and thank you so much, you guys, for coming on and talking. And um, I don't know how this happened, but it turned out to be book month. So I've been <laughs> just elbow deep in novels, and uh, yeah, it's been pretty fun. So, um, does anyone have a song they want to go out on? Another Girls' Generation one. Well, we we opened with the Jessica one, so maybe exit into the new world. Okay, yeah. yeah. Because you know we don't know what comes next for Jessica. We really don't. I'm or anyone really. <laughs> any of the members, they, like they are very much still at the beginning of this, and then especially with Sumon leaving this year, being technically pushed out. I think the next ten years in SM are going to be wild, and I think that. Because Sumon's gone, it's just going to be businessmen running it who have no, they don't have the personability Sumon had. So I don't think they're going to get away with as much as they used to. And I think that we're the big departures that we're seeing. And of course, XO, I think, is coming up soon. Um, Their contract, people mentioned the next year, allegedly, is NCT. And you're going to have over a dozen people. That's going to be a mess. That is going to be a mess. Luckily, Luckily, they don't follow the seven year rule that got started because of them um and so then um they were able to stagger them to next year but they said everyone in wavy i mean everyone in nct which i'm like you shouldn't be doing it for wavy because that was two years after oh, like hendry should not be coming up at the same time the, as Taylor. the stuff i have heard about wavy oh my god i'm gonna stop recording hold on